It's time for Cinema Talk, and in studio, my good friend Michelle Phelan. Michelle, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Good to see you. And on the line, in where are you, Skokie or Evanston, Bruce? Uh, these days, Skokie. Skokie. Stay tuned. Old, old uh, stomping grounds. <laughs> loved, uh, loved being there. Many, many memories working at uh, Blockbuster Video right next to the Old Orchard Mall, and then the one on Dempster Street, too. So, uh, great area. So, how you doing, Bruce? Oh, yeah. I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, you know, we're, I guess we're going to break a record tomorrow, Thursday, as far as the temperature yeah. is supposed to be mm. in the 70s. Yeah, but and then, it, and then, it, then the front's going to pass through and it's going to be in the 30s. So, yeah, yeah, oh, well, which is the weather we, de- weather we deserve. But uh, so uh, we're coming up on Veterans Day. So we decided our topic this month would be uh, movies about Vietnam, the Vietnam War, actually. And uh, so Michelle has done a bunch of research. And we're just going to jump right in. No sound effects. This is pretty serious stuff. So we're going to jump right in. Michelle, tell us all about movies about the Vietnam War, and then we'll talk about our favorites. Okay. Uh, thanks, Jay. Uh, so I'm just going to start off by brief, giving a very brief summary of the history of the Vietnam War. So the Vietnam War was a conflict between communist North Vietnam and United States ally South Vietnam that occurred between 1954 and 1975. By the late 1960s, more than half a million members of the U.S. military were stationed in Vietnam. The U.S. withdrew from the war in 1973 due to like immense cost of both, like financial cost and cost of life. And it ended in 1975, um, the war when North Vietnam invaded South Vietnam. More than three million people, including approximately 58,000 Americans lost their lives in this war. More than half of the deceased were Vietnamese civilians. That's just horrible. So you can understand why attitudes towards this war aren't all that positive, um, which we're going to be getting more into during this show. So um, I want to briefly talk about how war has been depicted uh, throughout film history, or specifically American film history. And war films often reflect society's views towards that war at the time uh, the film is being produced. So, for example, so talking about like World War I films, for example, um, there's the D.W. Griffith film Hearts of the World that was produced in 1918 during World War One, And this was, I believe we entered the war in 19, I mean, we as the United States entered the war in 1917. So there was a lot of propaganda out there. Like, we need to get involved in the war and all of that. So this film was a brimming with propaganda, this Griffith film. But then when you look at films made after World War One, um, they don't reflect that patriotic sentiment. Actually, they are very, very anti-war. Two of the greatest anti-war films of all time are about the war, about World War One, and that's All Quiet on the Western Front from 1930 and Paths of Glory uh, from 1957. So again, that shows that how um, these films uh, really reflect society's um, feelings about the war at the time when the film's being made, since people didn't so positively have positive views of World War One after that war had ended. So now World War II films, I'm not going to go too into. We could do like three segments on World War II films. There are a plethora. I know it's an overused word. There are a plethora of World War II films. So yeah. I'm just going to briefly talk about this. Uh, many Many Hollywood films released during the war, of course, were blatant propaganda. I mean, let's be honest. Um, and many film, like major film figures, like Jimmy, even actors like Jimmy Stewart, they joined the military or they produced this propaganda. Frank Capra, not surprising at all, uh, directed uh, prop- propaganda films, Why We Fight. 
But it's interesting that not all, I guess what you would call the American auteurs or of this classic Hollywood era, they didn't all make these flag-waving flicks. So John Huston actually directed some uh, documentaries, including The Battle of San Pietro, hopefully I said that right, from 1945, which ca- really captured the brutal and shocking realities of war. Like, John Huston just couldn't make those propaganda films. You know, he was really about portraying the verisimilitude of war. So now, talking about the Korean War, um, Korean attitudes towards the Korean War have been generally negative, which are definitely reflected in the um, films made about the Korean War. There's not a whole lot of films about the Korean War, but most of them are anti-war films. Uh, these include The Steel Helmet from 1951, Pork Chop Pork Hill from 1959, and MASH from 1970. You know, comedic black comedy, but you could still consider it an anti-war film. So now talking about Vietnam on film, uh, as I said, this war was massively unpopular. You know, it was it was people. It, it sparked protests all across the United States and the world. People were not. Uh, fans of the, this was a horrible, horrible war. Um, so, at, so now to specifically talk about the cinema about Vietnam or American cinema about Vietnam. In 1968, so keep in mind this is the same year as the horrific My Lay Massacre. Just keep that in mind. The largely and rightfully maligned Green Berets was released. And boy, oh boy, are people not fans of this film for a good reason. So this Vietnam film, I literally put that in quotes in my notes, has been derided for being highly inaccurate, propagandistic, and very old-fashioned. It's essentially, it's a John Wayne film. John Wayne stars in it. And it's essentially, you might as well be a Cowboys and Indians film. And it's highly, you know, because John Wayne, American patriot, American icon, this, it's just just blatant, disgusting, inaccurate propaganda. And it, actually, Ebert gave this film zero stars. Uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. under, and again, keep in mind the timing of this film. So this was really, I think, the only major film released during the actual war and just completely, just totally, totally did it wrong. <laughs> but, um, and also just to talk about the film, um, the state of film in the late 1960s. In 1968, The Hayes Code, uh, was replaced with the rating system. So the Hayes Code prevented a lot of, like, um, you know, what was considered questionable content, so, like, nudity, um, violence, um, uh, you know, uh, biting social critiques. These weren't really allowed with the Hayes Code, but now we have the rating system. So in the late 60s, going into the 1970s, we start to see films with more realistic violence and more... Um, uh, nuanced or just, you know, like I said, outright biting critiques of our societal institutions. So, and it would actually take until um, after the war in the late 1970s for the public to finally see films that realistically portrayed the Vietnam War and its impact. And those would include um, The Deer Hunter and Coming Home from 1978, which depicted the distressing and horrifying effects of the, the war had on those who served in it, you know, and like how they came home and were just a complete mess. And there'd be many more of those movies to come. There was also The Boys and Company C that came out in 1978, which was lauded for its realistic portrayal of Marine recruits preparing to fight in Vietnam. And this film, of course, came out nine years before the um, iconic full metal jacket would, of course, portray something similar. In 1979, we would get one of the greatest war films ever made, which we'll be talking about today, Apocalypse Now. Now, in the 1980s, faithful and harrowing depictions of the Vietnam War continued to premiere on the big screen. Um, Two of the most, arguably the most important um, Vietnam films um, 
were directed by Oliver Stone in the 1980s. He gave us Platoon from 1986, uh, one of the most praised and authentic representations of, com of the combat of the Vietnam War, and Born on the Fourth of July from 1989, which is a sympathetic and heartbreaking biopic of a disillusioned Vietnam vet named Roy Kovic. So we'll be talking about these two films today. Now, we also have another classic, uh, Full Metal Jacket from Stanley Kubrick. That's released in 1987. Again, re like I said, uh, realistically represents the Marine boot camp experience during Vietnam and how it dehumanized uh, the recruits. Uh, I've heard from, I have friends who are Marines who, who laud this film as being it, it highly realistic in how it, how it portrays the boot camp experience in the Marines. So other 80s films um, of note about Vietnam include Hamburger Hill from 1987, which is about the 1969 Battle of Hamburger Hill. And like Platoon, this was praised for its authenticity and its representation of the war. Uh, we also get uh, Brian De Palma's dark and deeply upsetting, I actually almost threw up after I watched this movie, Casualties of War from 1989. This is, yeah, it's based on mm -hmm. just a despicable event that happened unfortunately that happened quite a bit in the war it's just horrible i mean it's a great movie horrible story <laughs> and then i also wanted to spotlight um an 80s action classic first blood which has a just an absolutely heartbreaking speech from john rambo about what he went through in the war i mean it's 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 hard to i mean we think of rambo like oh over the top action fun which is what they became but first blood really isn't that and I and that speech that Rambo gives, I mean, it's just it's hard not to just break out. You're talking about trying to put his friend back together yes. again. It's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, yeah. it's just it just. I mean, how do you, you, right how, do you live, how do you live with that the rest of your life? Exactly. Do you, and you don't. I mean, it just had just unspeak, unthinkably devastating <clears throat> effects on these vets. This horrible, horrible war. And just to conclude my intro here, uh, some other Vietnam films of note released after the 1980s include um, Dogfight with River Phoenix and Lily Taylor from 1991, which Jay mentioned. I don't know well, anybody uh, else who's seen this movie, but I love, I love this, this movie. I, I love, love this, this movie, film. too. Um, and then we've got Tigerland starring Colin Farrell from 2000. We Were Soldier Soldiers uh, starring uh, Mel Gibson from 2002. And uh, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods from 2020. So we do get some, uh, we do see Vietnam films. We don't, there weren't as many Vietnam films made post-1990 as there were like in the 70s and the 80s. We just saw a plethora of these films being made. And also, um, speaking of, uh, uh, we were talking about Oliver Stone earlier. He, he actually had a, a third film. So he has a trilogy of Vietnam films. Um, so that's there's Platoon, uh, Born on the Fourth of July, and there's a third film called Heaven and Earth. I, I've never seen this film. Neither, it's from 1993, yeah. but it's supposedly it tri he tries to present the Vietnam's uh, the Vietnamese's perspective. It's about a Vietnamese woman's re relationship with a soldier, is played by Tommy Lee Jones. I'll, I'll have to watch that one because I have I have not seen that. But yeah, that's just my uh, brief rundown of uh, Vietnam War. You know, film. you mentioned it's interesting. You mentioned um, uh, John Huston, and actually he yeah. was. He was one of uh, five directors that were you know, hired by the military mm -hmm. during World War Two yeah. to film the war. Yes, uh, uh, Capra being the the most American, yes, you know, exactly. like pro -Amer pro war director right. out of that. Uh, but Houston would also direct a new, another documentary called "Let There Be Light," which was yes. about PTSD. Yes. It was actually done in 1946, but it was not released. The government locked yes. it up and would not release yes. it until the 1980s. Yes. So we knew about Pete. We knew what we were doing to these yes. young men yes. in 1940. <laughs> I mean, Houston said it, and they just locked it up and put it away. Yeah. And it's horrible that, yes. they, that they did. Absolutely. I mean, because he was trying to shine a light on this, and they just took it away from him. I mean, it's, and, and all five of those directors, it's a 
if it's a documentary on Netflix. I think it's a three-parter. Yeah. It is a fantastic, I mean, because it affected all five of these men, yeah. watching the horrors of war happen right in front of them. Yeah. I mean, and you only saw, you know, in the theaters, like, glimpses of, oh, here are our boys taking over yes. Omaha Beach, you know, and you're not seeing blood and guts flying everywhere. And, you know, I mean, you're not. And, you know, that's, uh, it's it, it, uh, Houston. I'm glad he did that. And yes. unfortunately, the government got a hold of it and didn't let it go. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, because yeah, Houston's work during World War II is really important. I'm glad he decided to sort of be the iconoclast right. and go the right. different way. Like, I'm not making propaganda. I'm going to show the real raw realities and the horrors of yeah. war. Yeah, so. Absolutely. So, Bruce, we want you to jump into your pick for f- our film discussion today. Give it to us. Well, I chose Apocalypse Now, released in 1979, American Zotrope Studios, uh, United Artists, produced and directed by Francis Ford Coppola, credited simply Francis Ford Coppola. It's written by John Milius and Francis Ford Coppola, uh, with Michael Hare writing the, excuse me, Michael Herr writing the narration. Um, Joseph Conrad wrote the novel. There's a discussion about that, but I'm not going to go into it. The cinematographer, photographed by uh, Vittorio Storaro. This is a film that is really lauded for its photography. Uh, it stars, of course, Marlon Brando, Martin Sheen, Robert Duvall, G.D. Spraylin. I'm going to uh, elaborate on him in a moment. Dennis Hopper, of course. Harrison Ford, who has a pretty vital role and does very well. If you guys remember the conversation, he was famous prior to Han Solo, and I think some people don't recognize that mm-hmm. considering what he became. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne at 14 years old. And Jerry Seismer, Jerry Seismer, very good-looking actor. Legend has that he was sort of impressed into uh, the production. Um, he is in that very, very uh, crucial interview scene where they're basically telling Willard, eventually played by um, Martin Sheen, you know, what his mission is going to be. But real quick about G.D. Spradlin, a very, very overlooked, unsung actor, one of those actors that I've always been mystified, you know, what happened to him? Why didn't he do more more work? He played Senator Geary in The Godfather Part Mm -hmm. Two, which was a huge character. He's got a very, very unique voice and just a great, great film Present, so I don't know. I, I should have done some more research on GD Spradlin, but he's very good in again that crucial interview scene. Real quickly, I just found this out about Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was very nervous on that production, and if you watch that crucial, if you watch that crucial interview scene, Harrison Ford's character actually drops the file on Colonel Kurtz, and they kept it in the movie. Because not only was his character kind of nervous, but Harrison Ford himself was kind of nervous. So it's just one of those things, one of those little caveats. As far as accolades awards, it did, in fact, win the Palme d'Or. Uh, depending on who you ask, that is a huge accolade at the Cannes Film Festival uh, at the 52nd Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Coppola, Best Screenplay Adapted from Another Medium, Best Supporting Actor, for Robert, I put in quotations, Napalm Duval. We all know uh, that, oh, <laughs> that yeah. sometimes overplayed speech. Sure I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, best sound design, best art direction, best cinematography, best uh, film editing. And um, I'm going to talk more about the 52nd Academy Awards in a moment. But the uh, only Oscar wins were Best Director for Coppola and Best Sound and Mixing. And the reason why this was a big movie, uh, excuse me, a big Oscars for me that year, because I went from seventh to eighth grade. But um, 
What ended up happening is Kramer versus Kramer wound up sweeping the Oscars that year. In the past, you, uh, Jay, Michelle, and I, we have talked about uh, Oscar snubs. Some do consider Apocalypse Now kind of snubs. It was just, and actually, Robert Benton won Best Director. Robert Benton directed Kramer versus Kramer and wrote the screenplay for the 1978 Superman movie. Robert Benton is one of those people, almost no, even some cinemaphiles, cinemaphiles excuse me, have never heard of. Uh, it grossed 40, uh, 40 million, uh, excuse me, domestically and 100 million worldwide. The film is regarded as one of the most influential, excuse me, and discussed uh, films of all time. Despite it actually receiving mixed reviews upon its initial release, and I remember being in eighth grade wondering why that was. And Jay, you and I talk about HBO a lot. My first viewing, I wasn't one of. I think Michelle was telling me you had you knew somebody that actually saw it in thirty-five millimeter in the cinema. Is that right? Real quick, Michelle did. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, my. Yeah. Yes, my mom saw it in thirty-five millimeter in seventy-nine. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. I only saw it on HBO. But anyway, many, many documentaries have been made about the production, uh, most notably Hearts of Darkness, of filmmaker's apocalypse, which uh, was the narration of Coppola's wife. And yes. some of my observations is that um, Coppola aspired to craft, I found this fascinating, a film not so much in the fashion of David Lean, um, many will remember Dr. Gervago or Lawrence of Arabia. What I would say about that is almost a classic epic, but rather more akin to Irwin Allen. Irwin Allen was more known for action and even disaster films. So Coppola wanted something, I, I, I dare say, maybe not as on the, on the lines of uh, artistic as, uh, as Irwin, excuse me, of David Lean, but more action-oriented. And Orson Welles was also an influence on the production and the narrative was inspired and fashioned into the Vietnam War from the work Heart of Darkness. Um, he entered, oddly enough, the production consumed with self-doubt, despite being one of the most lauded directors of his day and uh, being the major player in the Oscar uh, legendary Godfather picture. So needless to say, Coppola had a huge reputation by that time. And much like Robert Redford's much later Sundance Institute, Coppola's American Zoetrope was inspired to nurture aspiring independent filmmakers and create films outside of the traditional Hollywood studio system. George Lucas was also um, involved in American Zoetrope. And um, I wanted to point out a four-year-old future director and actor, Sofia Coppola, was present during in the production in the unbearable heat of the Philippines. There's a shot in the documentary. I think she's playing in mud or something. <laughs> and of course, she went on to be a great. <laughs> she went on to be a, a great director yeah, on her own. Yeah, and we already talked about, yeah, G.D. Spradlin, I mentioned about that. Um, Harvey Keitel, you're sending the wolf, was originally the casting choice for the point-of-view role of Willard. But he was fired early on in the production after Coppola was viewing the initial rushes and dailies, meaning the shooting for the day and the scenes that they shot during the day, and he decided that Keitel was miscast. 
um, as the it was crucial the viewer point of view role, which later went to Martin Sheen and later uh, Keitel described it as a learning experience. Um, I just saw a recent not a recent interview, but a later interview with Keitel, and he really didn't seem very bitter about it. Um, and as Michelle mentioned, well. Michelle used the word plethora, although I didn't. Uh, uh, there's a plethora of Hollywood legends about how paradoxically Martin Sheen nearly died multiple times oh, yeah. uh, during the production, Pretty. most notably a heart attack. Yep. And, um, yeah, um, and it is, I had to mention this, Martin Sheen's casting is the crucial role of narrator, point-of-view character, for the senseless chaos of the Vietnam War was echoed by his son, Charlie, in 1986's Best Picture Platoon. And um, I actually even feel, just as an actor, I mentioned Judy Spradlin and The Voice a moment ago, but um, I even feel that um, that Martin Sheen's voice and Charlie's, at least in his young before, was smoking <laughs> in 1986. Their voices are quite similar, but that's just my opinion. Um, as far as casting Robert Redford, Jack Nicholson, and James Conn were all considered for the role of Willard. And throughout production, the Philippine government, it's going to be a real prevalent theme when you watch documentaries. It was uh, suspicious and interfered with the production. And not surprisingly, Brando demanded $1 million a week for a three-long shooting schedule. Of course he Three weeks, excuse me, <laughs> uh, shooting did. schedule. And uh, Coppola paid him $1 million in advance. And um, for the younger kids out there, the popular 90s, Bleak Anthem Rooster. I didn't know this right away in 1996 by Alton Chains is a sonic reference to Brando's Colonel Kurtz. I didn't know that. I knew it was about Vietnam. I love that. I love Alison Chains. I'm a huge fan, but I didn't know that. I knew it was about Vietnam, but not about this Kurtz specifically. Yeah. And for three years, they, um, when I was, of all things, selling shoes and make a lot of money because my name is Bruce, they, for whatever reason, started calling me Rooster for three years. And then we were at a bar one night, and they were telling me, you know the song Rooster by Allison Chains is about Colonel Curtin. No, I didn't. Um, and Coppola's uh, good friend and fellow author George Lucas was very invested in the production and served as an informal uh, consultant for the film. But overall, my take on the film, like I said, I first viewed it in, on HBO in 1980, is that um, I think th- there is a plethora of Vietnam theme films right up to the present day. But it is, and this is an overused semantic, it is by far the most epic, I would call it hallucinogenic. And what I mean by that is you might say you don't even really need to be on under the influence of a hallucinogenic to indeed have a hallucinogenic experience right to the beginning of the overplayed song this is the end by the doors it is an overplayed song but in those days it wasn't uh, that whole opening sequence with the napalm destroying an entire jungle i really think it's effective it uh, it's setting the tone. Yes. It's extraordinarily allegorical, profoundly disturbing, like just about all Vietnam. I don't think any Vietnam film is akin to The Wizard. No, it's not exactly a pleasant experience, but right. it is one of the most profoundly disturbing films on that subject. This is one of those films, like I said, that elicits 
an aesthetic emotional epiphany upon every subsequent viewing. It's a film that warrants subsequent viewings, at least for me. Yeah, um, absolutely. The sometimes overplayed uh, helicopter sequence with Wagner's classic ring cycle. It is great. It's rewatched, but there's a reason for that in war films history, not just Vietnam War films. And uh, just incidentally, because Dennis Hopper, uh, his character of the photographer, was clearly under the influence of cocaine. The yes. actor, knowing Dennis, unsurprisingly requested, what do you want to call it, method acting? Or he just wanted some cocaine, mm, requested yeah, right. that he be under the influence of the drug during a scene. And Coppola granted his wishes. Uh, the usage of many substances, uh, speaking of substances, marijuana, cocaine, hallucinogens, and even alcohol. Uh, there's a scene immediately where Willard is hung over in the beginning, and they put him in a cold shower. By the way, that's a real cold shower. Uh, but anyway, they were very prevalent among cast and crew all during production. And uh, one final note, since there are already numerous anecdotes and legends about the experience of working with Brando, his work ethic and conduct uh, during production is kind of legendary, but I'll leave that for film historians, and, and that's all I got, guys. I you know, know there's uh, what hey, Bruce, when was Superman came out like the year later, right? 80? Was it 80? 81? Oh, no, no, no. 1978. Yeah. So there's, a, there's a great uh, segment of Christopher Reeve on Late Night talking mm -hmm. about Brando. And he absolutely gently, I mean, very gently does it, but he just basically destroys him. He's like, this guy is like one of the greatest actors of our time, mm -hmm. and yes, he doesn't yes, care yes. anymore. Oh, it's he like sure he doesn't, doesn't care. Doesn't. <laughs> no, sure. if you see, I almost went down a whole rabbit hole yeah. with Marlon Brando yeah. and interviews right around that. I can totally understand what yeah. Chris Reed was talking about, though. Yeah. But I'm sorry, if you talk about presence, or, you know, he lives up to the hype. I'll just leave it at that. Maybe it's because yeah. I'm an actor I'm saying that he lives up to the hype. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Michelle, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, just uh, I, I had mentioned that my mom saw this film in the original 35 millimeter cut in 79 when it came out. And now she remembers uh, this scene uh, as part of the co closing credits where Kurtz's compound is being blown up. So actually, the background behind that scene is that the Philippine government required Coppola to destroy Kurtz's compound. They're like, you got to get all this out of here. So he's like, okay. So he just blew everything up and filmed it. And uh, yeah. but he did not um, intend for this footage to be any sort of alternate ending or anything. He just sort of played it <laughs> over the end credits. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, a local here, a uh, local high school teacher. My introduction to Apocalypse Now, even though my parents really like this film, was in Ms. Schindel's um, novel and film course here at Harvard, Harvard High School. Uh, in any class you take on adaptation, any class I've ever taken on film adaptation, we cover Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now. So, Ms. Schindel, if you're listening, uh, thank you. I love hey. the class. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What was his Loves. name again? Carrie Schindel. It's a lady, Mrs. Schindel. Ms. Schindel. She was Ms. Schindel to me in high school. No, she's awesome. I'll tell you, Ethan had a film class and they were doing Citizen Kane. And I brought, we've had Matt Fagerholm on here before with us. I brought Matt in to talk about Citizen Kane to the class. This was like, you know, when Ethan was like 2013, yeah. I think it was so good. She was so much fun. Yeah, it was. It was a great time. So, Bruce, I, let me. I'll just say, this is a, a, a disturbing movie. 
it, it, I remember the first time seeing it, I'm like, what did I just watch? Yes. I got to watch this again to understand <laughs> what I just watched. I don't oh understand any yeah. of this. This is wild. It's out of, it's just like, a, it's like, a, it's like you're, you know, you're in the middle of a trip, right? The, the entire movie. Uh, um, that's yeah. what I say. You don't need to be on a No, no, this movie, this movie does like it, it for you. It's, it, it's, a, it's, it is one of the great American films yes. uh, without question. Uh, obviously Duvall's, you know, uh, you know, you know, love the smell of napalm, and one of the oh, most yeah. quoted lines nice. of all time. You know, I mean, you know, oh, sure. and, and the was it the rise of the Valkyries out that what plays when they cross the yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah. it's no, it's it's simply an awesome film, uh, yeah. terrific. So, Michelle, let's jump into your movie. Sure. So, my film is Platoon, and it was directed by Oliver Stone, released in 1986. Uh, also written by Oliver Stone, based on his experiences serving in Vietnam. Uh, this was distributed by Orion Pictures, which, yeah, does not exist anymore. I don't believe I haven't seen that nope. those stars, so. yeah, for a long time. And though you know, during an opening of a film, this stars Char Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, Willem Dafoe. Both of them would be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Keith David, Forrest Whitaker, Kevin Dillon, who was like a baby in this movie, and another baby in this movie was Johnny Depp, mm -hmm. who's like in only like two scenes. Like <laughs> when I watched it last night again, I'm like, oh, he's really not in this a lot. John C. McGinley, a um, favorite of Stones. Um, yep. cast and uh, Tony Todd Candyman well, that's what I best know him from and most people probably do and uh, Oliver Stone is appears towards the end of the film in an uncredited role so Platoon was actually won four Academy Awards in 1987 for best picture best director best sound and best film editing it was nominated for four additional awards. Best Supporting Actor, like I said, both Berenger and Defoe were nominated. Best, it was nominated for Best Screenplay, d written directly for the screen, and Best Cinematography. It won three Golden Globes, including Best Motion Picture Drama, Best Director, Best Supporting um, Actor for Tom Berenger. It was also nominated for Best Screenplay, but did not win. Uh, Stone, as I said, wrote the screenplay in the 1970s based on his experiences in Vietnam. He wanted to capture the authentic essence of war on celluloid from a soldier's perspective. So this is essentially the anti-Green Berets. Some people say he actually wrote this as a reaction to Green Berets because he was just like, you know, horrified by how, as I said, how inaccurate that movie was. Um, and Stone based the characters in this film on people he served with and did his best to cast actors who best match the spirit of these individuals which I think is really, really interesting. Uh, so mm. now, speaking of the actors, they participated in a grueling, and I mean grueling, two-week basic training, that just like what you would do in, in the military. Um, so in Vietnam, that uh, Dale Dai uh, basically supervised this uh, basic training and made it as realistic as possible. So the cast dug foxholes, they ate these minuscule military rations, they didn't shower or use the bathroom <laughs> for long periods of time, and they barely slept a wink. Stone wanted them to become their, really not, he didn't just like, he's like, I just don't want you, he's like, I really want you to become immersed into your character. He's like, I want you to dissolve into your character through this like very immersive, arduous experience of this, of this boot camp, essentially. So Stone admitted to being a method director, <laughs> so, you know, method acting, you know. He wanted, again, his actors to become these people as much as he possibly 
could vanish into those roles, as they say. So what he would do during the shoot is he would constantly, he's just a jerk. He would belittle the actors, uh, just treat them horribly because he wanted to obtain the most convincing performances possible. Um, and most of the cast grew to hate him during that production. How could they not? You know, they didn't, you know, they, they understand now what he was trying to do. And speaking of that, Johnny Depp actually during one of his few scenes, he's when he's laying on the ground, he almost threw up. And Stone made him do another take. And, of course, at the time, it was horrible. But in an interview, he said, he's like, I do understand what he was trying to do. He's like, because he kept pushing me and pushing me to that next plateau in my performance. So, yeah, Stone was really uh, serious about getting those, getting his most, uh, you know, the most authentic performances out of his cast. So um, I find this quote from Ebert's review of his 86 review of the film quite interesting uh it was um so this is the quote it was francois Truffaut who said that it's not possible to make an anti-war movie because all war movies with their energy and sense of adventure end up making combat look fun if Truffaut had lived to see platoon which yeah sadly he didn't the best film in 1986 he might have wanted to modify his opinion here is a movie that regards combat from ground level from the infantryman's point of view and it does not make war look like no it does not it is horrifying i actually when i first saw this film i had to watch it in two sittings because it was that exhausting and i've only seen it twice and the second time i saw it was last night so yeah (laughs) not fun um but incredibly incredibly authentic and important so this film has been revered by vietnam vets for its raw realism vets who've seen the film say they could actually when feel the heat when they get off the helicopter, they could feel the heat of Vietnam smack them in the face and smell all the stenches. And there's an article <laughs> written by Vietnam vet Jim Beaver, a fantastic article called Sense, Mem- Sense Memory, Platoon Through the Veteran's Eyes. This is published on RogerEber.com. And he talks about how there was a smell in Vietnam that like it took over your clothes. And he calls it some exotic kind of Asian mildew um, from, you know, <laughs> that they always smelled like from always being wet or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or from sweating and being in the rain all the time. And he said, it was a smell I never encountered before Vietnam and one I never smelled again until I saw a platoon. I remember the smell of rotting clothes coming over me in waves as I watched the actors drenched in perspiration. Sense memory, I suppose. But no other film has made me smell something from the other side of the world a decade and a half later. That's how powerful this film is. I, I actually, when I was watching it last night, when Charlie Sheen is getting bitten by the bugs, like they're all over his neck, like I just found myself scratching my arm. Like I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, stop. Like, I mean, it really does, immer- it like just immerses you into this world where you like, you feel what the characters are going yeah you itch like them you, yeah, you smell right. the smells they smell um so this film um uh, what i love about the beginning of this film uh which was pointed out by a film professor of mine like so taylor played by charlie sheen he walks in you know, he gets out the helicopter he's fresh face oh it's charlie sheen he's adorable you know back then back then he was adorable so like he comes in he's like hey um i want to volunteer because he was a volunteer he didn't you know and even somebody in the film's like you signed up for this you know what um, he wanted to serve his country. Uh, yeah, so he walks in all fresh-faced and walks literally by a, by a guy who's leaving. So he's coming in. These other people are leaving. And this guy literally looks like a corpse. And he looks at him. He's like, yeah, have fun. And, oh, boy, does Sheen go through hell in this film. Right. Um, when you see him at the end of the film, when he gets on that helicopter, and he's just a shell 
of himself. He's just crying. He's emotionally exhausted. He is just a wreck. And Sheen said in an interview that he was actually suffering from extreme emotional distress during that scene. Like he was, mm. I mean, Stone took him to that place. He's like, all your friends are dead. Your life almost ended. Like he was really, like they say, actors get to a place. He was really in that place. He was a mess. And he mm. said when he got home to LAX, he actually kissed the ground because he was so, he's like, <laughs> right. I didn't think I was going to make it. He's like, Stone really put me there. He's like to where I'm like, I thought I might die. Like obviously it probably wasn't, but that's how far Stone drove his actors to that emotional place that they needed to be in to <laughs> authentically represent these vets or these Vietnam soldiers. Um, mm. One of the scene of note, I, I was watching it last night and I like how, because of course um, there's these two uh, uh, sergeants who are very, very different. So there's the idealistic Elias played by uh, Willem Dafoe and the, this is, admit like outright d-bag played by tom berenger uh <laughs> that's barnes and uh it, there's this scene where they're um uh elias and uh charlie sheen they're smoking certain stuff i'm sure you can figure out what that is and they're dancing mm. in this in this uh room this area where it's like very warmly lit and they're all kind of filmed in close-up shots and they're dancing together and it shows like how tight-knit this group tight-knit this group is and then it cuts to another scene that's much colder like it just has it has a colder aura and sure. like all the actors are there's kevin dillon and and tom berenger and john c mcginley and they're all like actually separated like right. there's a lot of space between them and it's funny because uh baby kevin dillon is listening to like a country song he's like oh yeah it's a good song and then the other guy's like yeah I like motown and i think that's interesting because they're not even they're not bonding over music like uh right. defoe's group as it really shows the stark difference between these two groups yeah there's like that. two different camps yes. almost yeah you know, there's the bar camp yeah. and there's the Elias camp. Yeah, and, and just my concluding thoughts, do I sit do I pop this movie in and watch it on Saturday nights with a beer and popcorn? Absolutely <laughs> not. And it's not even my favorite war film. <laughs> my favorite war film is Apocalypse Now, which you just talked about. But I think and I I, I, I almost think it important isn't even a sufficient word. It's it's just a weak word to to describe this film. This is truly one of the most important films ever made. And Oliver Stone Thank you for making this film because people really needed to see what happened over there. Yeah. We needed just the most verisimilitude possible. We needed really true, authentic representation of how freaking horrifying this war was and what it did to people. And so that's really all I have to say on Platoon. I'd love to hear I'm what you think. Bruce, can you jump in? Yes. Go ahead. Your turn. Well, Your just, thoughts. Yeah, real quickly. Yeah, like I said earlier, there was almost as if there were two camps. There was the Barnes camp. And you know what, Michelle? You bring up a good point. Barnes was drinking Jack Daniels. I don't know why I always remember this. Whereas <laughs> Elias, yes, we can say marijuana. I don't think we're going to get in trouble. But there was a totally different nuance. And it's like no wonder that Elias, well, in the post character, is kind of martyred. I hope I'm not toward, toward the end because he was, if you in so far as you can be peace-loving in the middle of war, whereas Barnes, Michelle affectionately called him a D-bag, which he was. That's you know, I just, just be very polarizing. <laughs> yeah, and, but I mean, they're very polarizing. And Michelle is absolutely right. It is. It's almost like a necessary curriculum for mm -hmm. Vietnam. And no, it's not easy to watch on a Saturday night. That's all I'm saying. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> no, you know, Bruce. I'll, I'll. You know, look, great movie. Um, I think that Stone is one of our most, most important directors mm -hmm. of that time, uh, you know, Platoon. And, of course, I'll, I'll talk here in a minute about Born on the Fourth of July, mm -hmm. but JFK, mm -hmm. um, you know, Wall Street. 
you know, yeah. you know, yeah. what a great movie. I mean, you know, Michael Douglas winning the Academy Award for, you know, greed is good. The Gordon Gecko yeah. speech. Greed I mean, good, yeah. just I mean, Stone getting so much out of his his actors, even yes. even I think it's funny. It's like he, the um, the cameo he has in the movie Dave where they're asking. He's he's saying that he thinks that the, the president is not the real president. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that that scene, yep. Bruce? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he just I such, do, well, he was a great director for that time. He was really wonderful. Yeah. I, I wanted to interject something. Yeah. You know, I knew I was very good friends with somebody on that production, believe it or not, who knew Dale Dye okay. very well. And Dale Dye was, as, as Michelle mentioned, was a consultant. Yes. He, show, he, You know, Oliver Stone loves his cameos. And I could swear Dale Dye does show up mm. in as a cameo. But he was one of the chief consultants. And one last thing about Stone, he gets criticized for being sort of coked up or whatever but i mean <laughs> i was just going to interject like any given sunday okay it's about yeah, professional football and the nfl but but we talked about a, a creative force pouring their heart and soul platoons of, of oliver yes. and salvador is another good movie yeah, that doesn't yeah. you know salvador preceded platoon okay that's it guys no I no i mean stone even any given sunday which is i think is a I, I think it's an okay football movie, but there's some, some great scenes in there and symbolism and mm. and like the the one inch speech by Al Pacino is yeah. just like you want to go run through a brick wall when yeah. you listen yeah. to that. You're oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, we're gonna yeah, go yeah. kill those guys. You know, I mean, it's just yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a great director. So, uh, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna jump into my film, and that is Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, it was released in uh, December of 1989. I was directed by Oliver Stone, distributed by Universal Pictures, starring Tom Cruise as Ron Kovic, uh, Kira Sedgwick, um, Kevin Bacon's wife, uh, William Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, Raymond J. Barry, Carolyn Kaba, Tom Berenger mentioned before, William mm -hmm. Defoe mentioned before, yeah. Tom Sizemore, Lily Taylor mentioned Dogfight. She was in mm -hmm. Dogfight, right? Yes. Uh, Ed oh, Lauder, yeah. Daniel Baldwin, Frank Whaley, who was, wasn't he a platoon too, Frank Whaley? Or no, he yes. was, was Frank he, I think Frank he was. Wally. I think no, he was. He, you know who Frank Wally was? He was a Jeff Yeah, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. That's in how I know. Check out the big brain on Brad. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. he was in Career that's, Opportunities. Yeah. He was in um, he was in JFK as yes. well. Uh, Michael Wincott, Abby Hoffman. Mm -hmm. I actually had a role in here. Oliver Stone actually had a role. He was a reporter at the beginning of the film. John C. McGinley, we mentioned yes. from Platoon. Mm -hmm. uh, and Ron Kovic actually um, uh, has an uncredited role in this film. That's so, right. So this was nominated for eight Academy Awards, won the Best Picture, uh, won for Best Picture and Best Film Editing. Uh, Stone won his second Best Directing uh, Oscar. For, um, his first was for Platoon. And the third, uh, his third Oscar for Best Writing Screenplay based on material from another medium. Uh, his first one was from, uh, uh, for Midnight Express in 1979. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, great, which is a great movie. Wrote that, yeah. yeah. He and also won four ready. Golden Globes for best one for best motion picture drama, best actor in motion picture drama, uh, best original score, which was done by John Williams, uh, and best screenplay. Uh, Cruz received his first Oscar nomination. He would later be nominated for uh, Jerry Maguire in 1996 at Magnolia in 2000. Uh, it's based on the book, the autobiographical, autobiographical book by Ron Kovic called Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, okay, so. Cruz was Stone's first choice to play this character, and rarely did he ever get his first choice to play main character, but this was, he got this one. And the studio, Universal, really had an apprehension because they, they didn't think Cruz could be in a serious role. 
But Stone wanted him. <laughs> he wanted him because he was he saw him as a golden boy. Yeah. And he want he thought he was perfect. Yep. He thought he was perfect for the first part. The 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 all American boy who wants to go and fight for his country. Uh, but then yeah. he wanted to break him. Right. So what happens if we break somebody? You know, I mean, we you know they're paralyzed. You know, they're they're they they know that their life effectively as a you know a. a as a normal human being is over, right? right. I mean, they're going to be living in a wheelchair the rest of their life, never going to be able to have kids, you know, all these things. I mean, it's just, yeah. there's so much going on here with, with this character. And there's a scene, I, I, I didn't get to watch the movie again, but I, I was going through the scene, but there's a, a scene where, you know, Kovic comes back home, he's living with his parents, and just absolutely gets in this brutal fight with his mom, oh you know, where he's, yep. you know, he's, he's, He's telling her, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe, you know, he takes the cross off the wall, you know, and he's talking about his, his, his penis because he can't have, you know, he's not going to be able to have sex any again, you know, and he just, she just goes crazy. And don't say that in this house. Right. It's a horrible scene. And, and Cruz absolutely nails this part. You just feel, feel the pain that he was going through. And it's interesting because um, Stone and Cruz had talked about using some kind of uh, a chemical to paralyze him so he could actually, you know, experience this. But they then they eventually decided no because yeah. they didn't know what the side effects mm-hmm. could be. You know, I mean, yeah. he could come out of this, but what if something went wrong? You know, so they yeah, they found other ways to, to make this experience. So Cruz, like he... I think he was. He spent like a year preparing for this role. He visited, you know, veterans' hospitals and things like that. Um, he, he really, there's some great stuff on him mm-hmm. preparing for this role. And I really think this is his best work. You know, maybe Steve Magnolia or not. Um, what was it? Uh, not Steve Magnolia. 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 He, he was, was phenomenal. He was fa- Magnolia. He was really, yeah. really good. I mean, he's kind of found his lane now. He's like action movie hero dude, yeah. and he's really, really good at it. But he is a really good serious actor. Yes, he and, is. And this is, yeah. this is, I mean, it's hard to understand how he didn't win. Uh, you know, I have to look back and see who won this year. But I mean, he was just so good. So a couple other notes: Ron Kovic gave his bronze star medal to Cruz after the movie was completed. That's touching. That is, that's cool. Well, I, I saw that in your notes. That's amazing, though. Yeah, but Kovic, actually, I saw an interview with him, and he didn't have any value. He didn't place any value on those medals. He, right. I mean, because he, uh, he, right? But it, I mean, he symbolically gave it to him, but he didn't feel like he deserved them. I mean, there's there's so much going on in this movie. You know, he accidentally shoots and kills one of his own, you know. Uh, uh, I love the confession scene when yeah. he goes to the parents. Yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that That's is okay. such a, when the wife, you know, the widow. Yeah. She says to him, she says, I don't think I can forgive you. That's Lily that's that's Ta- Taylor, actually. It's Lily Taylor. Taylor. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. No, Chicago-based actress Lily Taylor, one of my favorites. Um, okay, so the, yeah, she's wonderful. The film cost seventeen point eight million to make, grossed one hundred sixty-eight million. Kira Sedgwick, who was actually pregnant with her first child from her marriage to Kevin Bacon, still married by the way for all, after all these years, a great marriage. Yeah. Uh, no, and really, you don't great. ever hear anything about those two. They just kind of live a normal life. So, yeah, you their know. daughter that's so Sydney Bacon. She's she was in Mare of Easttown, fantastic uh, actress. Really, yeah. she okay. was a uh, uh, Kate Winslet's like daughter-in-law, the mother of her okay. grandson. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Actress. <laughs> all right, so Al Pacino actually expressed interest in playing Kovic uh, in the uh, in late. 
in late of 1976. Mm -hmm. uh, producer in uh, Martin uh, Bregman's production company, Artist Entertainment Complex, purchased the film rights, and Paramount was set to as a distributor, but the production fell apart as both Pacino and Bregman were unhappy with the script. Mm. Bregman hired mm -hmm. Oliver Stone in 1977 to write the script, and Stone and Kovic worked on the script together. The film briefly moved to United Artists and Orion Pictures before finally settling at Universal. Production faltered, and the project was shelved. Stone promised Kovic that he would return to the project if his career ever took off. Platoon happened. His career takes off, yeah. right? So he can make this movie. Yeah. So it's, it's great. So uh, I mentioned Cruz spent the time he spent um, you know, preparing for this role. Uh, he really he really dug into this. Kovic, I, I watched an interview with him. He talked about how society's, how society via education, family, and the media prep children to want to fight for their country. We used to, you know, they give them yeah. toy guns. They glorify war. Like you talk uh, about, talking about Green Beret, right? The movie Green yeah. Berets. What yeah. is that? It's a glorification yes, of war, absolutely. right? I mean, yeah. that, that's all it is, right? You don't see the 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 backside that what's no. behind the curtain it's the wizard of oz you never see what's behind the no, well you, you do don't. eventually in the wizard of oz but uh he also and in that interview he mentioned john wayne specifically seven several times i mean no no offense to john wayne he's dead and and you don't want to trample on the dead but he he spent years you know he was like mr pro america yes, I mean, he I mean, was. pro usa and, yep. and we'll just leave it at that so the, the, i think this there's two critical points in this movie, and I, when I was watching the scenes, one here's a scene with Tom Cruise, uh, where where he's talking to his dad in the living room about going to war. He says, "Don't you know what it means to be a Marine, Dad? Ever since I was a kid, I've wanted this. I wanted to serve my country, and I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Vietnam. I'll die there if I have to." That's juxtaposed to at the very end of the film, actually, and the ending scene in this film was filmed first, then filmed no, not filmed first, but. It was filmed twice, actually, because they, they, the studio didn't think it was realistic enough. They wanted more people. They wanted to look real silly. They, they filmed it in this huge, mm -hmm. you know, huge assembly mm -hmm. hall. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he says uh, at the end, when he's being interviewed at the Demo it was at the Republican National Convention, he Good says, I, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I'm here to, tonight to say that this war is wrong. This government has lied to me, lied to my brothers. The people of this country tricked us to going." 13,000 miles to fight a war against poor peasant people who have a proud history of resistance, who have been struggling for their own independence for a thousand years, uh, the Vietnam people. I can't find the words to express the, how much this leadership of this country sickens me. People say, if you don't love America, then get the hell out. Well, I love America and love the people very much, but when it comes to the government, it stops right there. The government are a bunch of corrupt thieves. I'll just stop it right there. But the, so what Stone wanted to show was juxtaposed in this movie, which he mm -hmm. did so well, was the 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 want to fight and, and, and die for your country because you think you're in the right and you think this is glorious. I'm going to die for my country. What a yeah. glori glorified thing to do, opposed to the reality of what it really was. And this is the reality for yeah. many, 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 many men that came back. You know, there was a scene where he almost loses his leg. They're going to say, hey, look, if we can take your leg off here. You know, you can go home. And he wants to save his leg. And there weren't enough doctors at the Veterans Hospital. I mean, it's just abysmal the treatment uh, that the government had of our, our fighting men and women in that war yeah and uh, it's, it's horrible and it's all highlighted stone is showing it all to you so i'll i'll michelle jump in real quick uh i just wanted to say uh 
again, thank you to Oliver Stone for telling these his story, right. uh, Ron Kovic's story. We need, as I said before, we really need these. We need these stories, and we can. We need stories like this to be continued to be told. We need these stories because we need people to express their truth and tell people how horrible these certain yeah certain situations were and how the government treated these vets and and vet. Don't even get me started. We don't even have enough time to talk about how our government still treats vets. Um, so yeah, I just want to thank Oliver Stone and anybody else who has the bravery to express their truth. And and like I said, I'm glad that our film. Um, we were talking about John Wayne, and you know, I'm glad that our cinema evolved. You know, because of the you know the Hayes Code being dropped and all of that, to where people, you know, filmmakers, creators now can express their uh, you know raw, unadulterated truth in ways that they couldn't in the days of John Wayne. So yeah, that's really all I all I have to say. Uh, yeah, again, Mr. Stone, you rock. <laughs> Thank Bruce, you for telling these stories. Bruce, your thoughts? <laughs> Real quickly, I think I'm kind of in the moment. The, there are so <laughs> many visceral scenes in Born on the Fourth of July, and maybe I, I, I'm a masochist. I have watched it many, many times. Um, no, real quickly, I, I, if you really wanted to encapsulate, like you were saying, Jay, this, this it, now we, in the retrospect, in hindsight, we see it as idiotic. The Tom Berenger speech, the recruiting, you know, the speech, and you see, you know, Frank Wally sitting there with Tom Cruise, and, you know, Tom Berenger's like, we're the first to fight. It's all about, you know, the glory of the Marines. But the scene that really gets to me is when I think Cruise is with a prostitute. And like we were mentioning earlier, he lost the usage of his legs, and he know he he knows he can't perform for her, so to speak, and he's he's weeping. And I think that is so moving because yes, of course, it must be traumatic to lose her legs, but to lose that whole dynamic of themselves, yeah. I just think is is super super poignant. And the last thing I'll say about Bourne is. I think Carolyn Cobb is a great actor overlooked for Cavacate or whatever, his mom. Yes. And she asked the burning question, I think, that, that permeates just about all Vietnam, you know, to the viewer back home. And she just simply, you know, you were talking about the scene where he gets drunk and he gets crazy. But she asks the, the burning question we all want to know, and then she just goes, what did they do to you in that war? Yes. Yeah. And that's yes. what America kept asking and yeah. i know it's not any kind of eloquent but it, it, in a way it is a very eloquent that's question. Great point. That's it. i'm done no yeah. that's a, that's a great and, point and just very very quick um ron kovic did go on to well the horrible horrible thing happened to him he's a great example of how you can take something horrible and use it as fuel for advocacy because this man tirelessly advocated for veterans and yeah. and and to try to get them you know better treatment within this country so thank you mr kovic yeah. no yeah no quite well i mean yeah, he, he was there he saw i mean he he accidentally killed one of his one of his own, and then he I, he was there where they were killing children, and they'll, you know walking. Yeah. Through, I mean, yeah. it, the, I don't even know how you live. With, I don't know how you live. Yeah, you know, just watching all of that happen around you, and and here yeah. Stone is throwing it in your face, and he's doing. I mean, rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, we need As to know. Should, yeah, we do. We we, absolutely we need do. to know, and and you know, unfortunately, we, we we don't learn our lessons from it, though. We just that's keep, why we need these stories to we, continue to be we, told. We, we just keep going back and yeah. back and and yeah. back. So, yeah. all right. So hey, uh, great episode, and guys, for next month, I haven't set a date yet, but we will set a date. Um, we are going to do. Twisted Christmas. We're going to pick our favorite Twisted Christmas movies <laughs> to talk about. It'll, it'll, it'll be a, okay, Mr. Grinch on the uh, other end. Uh, yes, no, I love that laugh, by the way. So, yes. Can I pick mine? Can I pick mine? What, what is yours? What do you want to do? 
I'm going to do Bad Santa. Bad Santa? That's a great Twisted Christmas movie. Yeah, there's too many to choose from. I'm going to need a little time. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll think about it. You, you can do Bad Santa. That's that's a great movie. All right. I just love that little right. kid in that movie. That's just, yeah, it's, it's, he's great. just awesome. He just plays up Billy Bob Thornton so well. So it's, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, and actually, we will be back next week because we have to do our In Remembrance yes. section. So that will, that will be next Wednesday. So, uh, Bruce, hey, buddy, thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next Thank week. Thank you, all guys. All right. Take care, you guys. You be Thanks. safe. And, uh, Michelle, thank you. I appreciate everything. Yeah. And uh, we will see you both uh, next week. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in to Cinema Talk with uh, Michelle, Bruce, and myself, Jay. <laughs>